This is Rory Gollard with Compass, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk, episode number 39. I'm super excited to have the GM of New York City, or actually, I'm sorry, the GM of the state of New York, Rory Gollard. Uh, just a little bit about Rory before we jump in. Rory was born in Long Island, New York City. As a kid, he excelled in speaking to adults as a three-year-old, having adult conversations as a three-year-old, uh, as well as uh, musically talented, as we all know, he's an excellent guitar player, but also as a kid grew up playing the saxophone and the clarinet, essentially what we call the woodwinds, if you were uh, listening in any uh, high school orchestras or bands. Rory obtained his bachelor's degree in business at the University of Richmond, my great state of Virginia, then moved to the city right after graduation, worked at EX. It's a company that operates in the area of online brand management. Uh, after that, he worked at Bloomberg as a global analyst, then transferred to a vice president of business development at fancy.com, which some of you may know is an e-commerce marketplace uh, with a social shopping platform. Rory joined Compass almost a year before, a year after I joined, uh, so December 2014. He joined initially as a business development manager and then worked his way up to become chief of staff to the CEO of our guy, Rob Refkin at Compass. On October 2018, Rory became the GM and president of Compass New York and now runs our day-to-day operations of our offices throughout Manhattan, Brooklyn, Westchester, and Long Island. So Rory, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. We are, you know what we also have to add to that? Yep. New Jersey and Connecticut. Oh, so you also uh, you also run those states as yes, well? Yes, well now we, we launched, you know, uh, in both those areas over the last two years. So now we're tri- the tri-state region. Got it, the tri- you are the president of the tri-state region. How many offices do we have in New Jersey now? In New Jersey, we have three. Okay. And growing. And growing. We have a Jersey City office, I believe, right? Jersey City, Short Hills, and Montclair. Montclair. Great. How, and then as far as office, office count in Long Island, we just opened up an office there recently, correct? couple offices, yeah. Manhasset, Huntington, which is my hometown. So that was really special to see the sign go up in your hometown where you grew up. It's a pretty special moment. Um, and uh, have like... <laughs> family and friends were like, oh, wow, Compass is here. Even though, we, you know, I've been talking about it for the last six and a half years, but we're, we're in the town. You know how it is. It's hyper-local. So if you're not there, you might not, must not be real. That's right. Uh, That's and right. we just opened our Garden City office. Okay. We just opened our Locust Valley office. Okay. We are about to open our Syosset office. We have a Woodbury office. Um, so, yeah, we are, we're cranking around. Yeah, you know what's funny is 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 uh, we we had a joke uh, when back in the day uh, with some of the older brokers we, we would always say you know I wonder if when when it was Urban Compass we would always say I wonder if Urban Compass would ever expand into the other markets like the, you know, we were going to the DC and Boston but the other markets like the suburbs and we would be like oh we would call it Suburban Compass Suburban Compass <laughs> yeah I mean you know it's it's definitely I. I've always enjoyed when we expand and go to a new market because, I, you know, for me, seeing Compass in these different places, yeah, it's a really special moment. And what's really, I think, the unique thing about our company, having traveled the country and gone to so many of our offices and launched so many of those markets, you could, you know, let's take COVID out of the equation for a moment. Imagine we were traveling around, you know, normally, yeah. you could go to any city we're in right now, you say yeah. Dallas, right? Yeah go to our Park City's office in Dallas, walk in, first your badge would allow you to get in because it's universal. 
and just say, hey, uh, I'm from Compass New York and instantly be greeted by all these people. Be like, oh, great to meet you. It's like having an, a family almost in every one of these cities. And so that's, that's really unique. Most companies, I feel like if you just show up to another office from another city, you know, they're either like, okay, cool, or who are you? Right. <laughs> uh, like you, work um, at, you work at Goldman and you go to like their, you know, Salt Lake office and it's like, all right, it's your just- Yeah, people are like, oh, nice, nice to see you. Okay, keep it moving. One um, yeah, of 50,000 employees, like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I cannot believe the number of friends I made. And I've been going to Colorado before we were there, but I, the number of friends I've made through the Colorado office in Aspen and Denver, it's just, it's, it's something that, you know, Words are hard to explain the experiences that are given to you by, you know, having a network like that. So that's, it's simply, it's, totally. simply, yeah, it's awesome. It's amazing. So anyway, so listen, I, I want to uh, thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy guy. There's a lot that we want to go through. So let's warm up a little bit. I want to do a couple of rapid fire questions. Uh, today's category is New York City. Just answer these questions. We're going to do, I'm going to give you five. Answer them in as, as less uh, maybe two or three sentences, just not too many, as quickly right. as you can, so that the audience can really get to know who you are, okay? Okay. All right. Number one, go-to restaurant in New York City and why? <laughs> so almost, that's impossible to answer. Come on. All right. If I, if I had to pick one. Go-to. Hey, listen, we're going to go somewhere right now. Right now, Il Molino in uh, Grand Village. All right. All right. Why is that? I mean, you know, Italian's my favorite food. And I think I, I consider that like the most classic old school sort of New York Italian, but with like a nice, a nice uh, sort of sense about it. And yeah, sort of, you know, just the right balance of high end, but also local. All right, cool. All right. Uh, number two, city bike or subway? <laughs> subway. I took a city bike once and I almost got, you know, I almost got hit by- Violated? <laughs> yeah, like I almost got hit by an Uber, a cab, I had no helmet. I am not of someone, I'm too distracted by things to be honest with you. Yeah, okay, I, get you. I, I, I feel you on that. Uh, Uber or Revel? I guess I know the answer there. Uh, uh, actually, Uber, yeah. yeah. And even before people started renting Revels and, and you know, getting bad accidents, um, you know, I, what, about, what happens if it rains? <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah, the, 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 there's no versatility, versatility there. Uh, Equinox or SoulCycle? Equinox. All day. Which are, are you an all member now? Are you, are you going back? I, so I, I I paused my membership because I actually joined a friend. A friend of mine runs a gym in in uh, Soho Drive 495, right yeah. on Broadway. And yeah. his gym is now closed. He's probably going to reopen it. So I'm currently gymless. There's one in my building. It's a little easier to use, but I go I, I go Equinox because. Yeah. All right. Well, you look good. You, you look fit. So. <laughs> Thank you. Pandemic has been treating you well. Last one. Last round. It's a two-part question. Brooklyn or Manhattan? Manhattan. Westchester or Long Island? Ooh. Uh, yeah, Long Island. Uh, you know, <laughs> although if you ask my wife, my wife would pick Westchester, but she's from Michigan. So she's just, I think she's trying to just go against the opposite of what I like. She wants to go the opposite of what you want. Okay. So this, so here's the, I guess the third part, now that we know this, now that I didn't, we know that you're in charge of these markets too, but New Jersey or Connecticut? To live, I would have anything, to anything to live, work in business wise. Yeah, I, I would have to go <laughs> Connecticut just because it's right across the water from where I grew up in Long Island. I'm more familiar okay. with it. It's good. Yeah, you can see it. You can see it across the shore, right? Okay. You can see, yeah. Good. All right. So listen, I, uh, as a, as the GM of New York, 
you know, a lot of people know you as like the real estate guy. Let's just say you're out on a Friday night and you're hanging out with your friends, non-compass people, right? Not with Rob or nothing like anything like that. Just totally outside of your, your work realm. You know, yeah. how do people look at what you do and what are some of the most common misconceptions or misunderstandings that they have about what you do? This, is a, this is a really funny question. So I think the first misconception is I think everyone thinks I'm a broker. <laughs> I, and maybe that's just because I'm outgoing and I love people and communicating and talking and yeah, networking. And although I try to explain to people that some of the best agents I've ever met are actually like introverted and, you know, quiet, like there's so many different types of, of ways to be successful. So number one, I was able to explain to people when I'm actually not a broker. And when I get asked questions, like deep questions about specific submarkets and like what things are trading at, I'm like, like actually I, I'd be happy to connect you up with someone. So I try to be like a lead source. Um, that's the first one. Yeah. I think the second one is, I think people, uh, I'm surprised how many people have heard of Compass. Oh, like, I still think we are like a startup in a way. Yeah, we're tiny. Mostly because, you know, when we go to these new markets, we are new. I remember like when I went to Long Island to start, you know, launching that market with the SGM team. I was like, oh, everyone will know us here. We're in the Hamptons, been in the city for years. People are just like, I haven't heard of Compass. Yeah. But I think that's, it's funny because then, but consumers have. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the other thing. And then the last thing I would say is, um, I don't think people realize how complex and how complicated it is to help people buy and sell homes, right? Like every time people, cause I think people like hear about compass and they're like, Oh yeah, you guess like real estate or technology or yeah, cool. Like, but they don't, they don't realize just like, I'm sure when like we think of Peloton, we're like, Oh, you guys make bikes. Okay, cool. But th there is probably so much that goes into that. Uh, so I'm constantly trying to explain to people that no, there is an actual entire process that goes into it. And yes, our company is vastly different than competitors. Right. Yeah. They only see the tip of the iceberg that sticks out of the ocean, but they don't see the bottom of it. Totally. Yeah. There's a lot in depth. Uh, would you say just to add to that, you know, amongst your friend group, do you think that the biggest misconception about real estate is that we are not just people that are just transacting, but there is a whole network-based operation that can't be really quantified in, in technology and even in words, right? Absolutely. I think what has happened in the last couple of years is, so part of it, I think people are starting to have a greater appreciation for real estate agents, yeah. which is good. I think some of that is, candidly, I think the work that Compass has done, because if you look at what Compass agents produce from a social media content, from a marketing perspective, from the brand, from the aesthetic of their personal brands, it's it's looking and feeling more like that of other high-end luxury brands that I think consumers are used to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and so I think that has helped elevate our image. I think number two, the quality of agents that are coming into the business, I think has absolutely gone up, which is a great thing, right? Yeah. Like you're, we're, we're talking to people, you know, every single day who are, you know, who have, I talked to someone the other day who's graduating college in the spring and wants to be an agent right out of college. Like, think about that. That was, that was very rare a long time ago. That, that never happened back in the day. Never. And, you know, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see that trend continue because I think people are starting to realize how exciting and interesting of a career it is 
the financial upside, how you can make more money doing this than a significant number of jobs. Like, and even jobs people that would assume were, were high paying, probably not even close to what you can do in our business. And three, I think it's become more meaningful, right? Like what COVID has shown is obviously homes are super important, where you live is super important. And so people, and think about this in COVID when you couldn't really see properties or maybe you could only do a showing or two and you really had to trust the guidance of your agent, right? So like, I think we're starting to see people are having a greater appreciation for agents. Now on the flip side, you've got companies that are trying to disintermediate agents, you know, and whether it's aggregators or iBuyers. But oftentimes what I say to people is, you know, think about, uh, the experience. And I'll list like 15 steps that you have to do when you buy or sell a home. And I just pick like 15 simple things. Yeah. And I just like quickly list it. And then I'll say, so does that sound like something you want to do on your own? And everyone is like, absolutely not. Like, what? <laughs> what? what did you just say? <laughs> it's funny. Someone once told me a great prospecting idea would be to, <laughs> to basically host a seminar or send an email that outlined all the things you have to do if you want to sell your own home. Yeah. And then people would be so turned off by how complicated and how much work that is that at the end they'd be like, no, 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 can actually can you do this for me? So <laughs> it's the same, the same concept. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of interesting things, right? First, like the younger generation of people that are graduating from school want to be in this industry. You know, I don't even know what it's I mean, I I was one of the first brokers, but I don't even know what it's like to be to try to become a broker at Compass right now? I mean, what do you look for? What are the requirements? Are there requirements? Is it hard to be Yeah, so, yeah, we, we there, there absolutely are requirements. Look, I think part of that is why, um, I think that part of that is why we've been able to change the perception in a positive way because we've kept sure. the bar high. Great institutions, just like great companies, great universities, they all are selective and selective based on talent and merit, not based on, you know. So if I was starting out a business today, how do I work at Compass? Yeah, so we are we only hire agents or bring agents onto Compass who are experienced, full time, yep, uh, ethical, collaborative, vetted by their colleagues. I think we're the only brokerage that actually vets the agents it recruits by the agents that are here, right. uh, as, as you're aware of. And if you're a new agent wanting to break into the business you can join a team or be the assistant to a compass agent, but we won't hire you outright. Um, And so, and and there are a lot of, there are companies that that act like that, that don't hire people who have no experience. And so I encourage people who are just getting into the business, if they want to work at compass, then the best pathway to do that is to be the assistant or a team member to an agent who you can learn from and be groomed by. And then at that point, should you decide to stick with that or go off on your own, then that'd be the appropriate time. Right, yeah, I think Rob Lehman said this best a few years ago. He said, we're, we're, a great acceler- we're a great accelerator for brokers that are experienced and have the Rolodex and have the clients and have the, experience, have the necessary means to generate revenue and expedite their performance rather than trying to get a brand new driver behind the seat and learn them how to test drive around the race course. Exactly. Those are just two different businesses. And we've always been focused on helping experienced agents. And it doesn't mean we only hire agents that are big producers. You know, we have a number of agents that are more modest producers. That right. You got people like me on the company. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you, you, you do your thing. You do your thing. Don't sell yourself short. You, you do your thing. But, I'm smart. I'm smart. It, uh, yeah. but it's a better environment for someone who understands the business because, you know, they can take more advantage of the things that we have. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, well, uh, let, let's, look, let's get to a couple more of the, uh, the deeper questions, the deep dive into the business. COVID, uh, topic is COVID. We got, I want two separate uh, categories. Our competition in terms of other brokerages, I know you don't look at the competition, but what's the landscape like there in terms of us getting more of their brokers or recruiting more of their brokers? I know that's what was, that was one of your bread and butter th uh, you know, things that you did when you first joined. What's going on there? Is it harder? Is it easier? Are the other brokers, brokerages afraid or are, are we afraid that more agents might leave us? I mean, what's going on in that landscape? And then part two of the question is during COVID, how is the New York City market doing and what do you think will happen next year? Yeah. All right. So on the first point, you know, I think it's all dependent upon the market you're in. Some markets uh, are booming and are having their best years ever. And so I, I know, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. You know, Colorado's and, booming and, and, yeah, and, and LA and Hamptons and Aspen, I get it, yeah. Totally, Long Island, Westchester, they, you know, some of these markets are doing incredible. And so in those markets, my guess is the competitors are probably having really good years. Um, right. And I think fortunately for us, we, our ability to attract and bring on great agents hasn't been slowed down by COVID, it's actually enhanced. Uh, something I was a little surprised about because, you know, as you know, when we meet with agents and share with them everything Compass has to offer and how we help them save time and get more clients, it's done in person yeah. and show sure. the actual things that we have. And so we were like, well, how's this going to work via video conference? But it actually worked out great because one, it was super easy to schedule the meetings. Everyone's home. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I think in the, in the beginning of COVID at least, not so much towards the middle and where we are today, but in those first six to eight weeks, people had a moment to hit the reset button and actually listen and hear. And right. I think oftentimes it's hard when you're super busy to actually think about a decision, do I want to switch companies? And sure. so in, in the second quarter, we actually recruited more agents than we predicted we would even prior to COVID. Oh, um, and wow. so, and that continued on. Yeah, I think we have, we have done pretty remarkably well when it comes to that. Uh, and so I think the challenge other brokerages are gonna have is while right now, some of them might be doing well because a lot of transactions are happening and they're generating uh, a ton of transaction volume. Uh, over time, I think agents are gonna continue to ask themselves, what am I getting for the money I pay my company? But I'm on split with my company, what am I getting for that split? Yeah. And what we focus on and think about every day is how do we create value for agents so that they feel as though what they get is far more significant than what they pay. Yeah. And I think if you're at a traditional firm, you got to ask yourself that question. And I don't know if there's a lot of firms that actually can really, can really answer that in a way where agents feel good about it. Right. Um, so I think that the long-term dynamic is, is, is interesting there as it relates to, to traditional firms. Now, as it relates to the New York City market, Obviously, this is a really difficult market for us in Manhattan at certain price points. Yeah, it's gone down. This has not been the best year. You know, I ran into uh, three of our brokers today. Everyone's sort of the same, saying the same thing. It's very difficult to get deals done. Deals are happening, but it's a grind. Oh, yeah. uh, and it makes well, sense. Because teeth. Pulling teeth. I keep hearing the out. It's like pulling teeth. And look, think about it, right? It, it kind of makes sense because you have the expectation misalignment. You have sellers that are in this new reality that they didn't think they'd be in a couple of months ago where the perceived value of their properties is lower. Just quite right. And so getting comfortable with that is hard, right? Yeah. I had something I thought was worth 3 million. You're telling me it's worth two, three, two, two. <laughs> like that's two, five. Like that's, that's far to wrap your head around. And then buyers 
are saying, oh, I can get that $3 million apartment. I can get it for one five. And you're like, well, no, it's not that crazy. So when, you know, Gordon Gollum, you know, who, uh, I don't know if you've had him on, probably him. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, one day. Our, our, you got to get him on, obviously. Our senior manager director of sales, who oversees our whole sales operation for the Tri-State area. You know, he always says, when the buyer and seller misalignment is more than, call it 15%, the market is frozen. Because you can't get people aligned. Now, I think what we're seeing is that's starting to thaw. There was an article in the New York Times that came out, I think it was yesterday, the day before, that was about talking about the New York City real estate bounce back. Yeah. The low end of the market, again, low end for New York City, you know, let's call it one five and under. Under, two, under, under. Well, yeah. Yeah, has, you know, so not low end, but luxury by any stretch, but has done really well. The super high end has actually done well. Yeah. And we saw some things go on a contract, 30 million plus yeah. at lower Manhattan. So clearly there, there is, there are people that are betting big, yeah. um, you know, it's sort of the middle. But from what I'm seeing of, of what I'm hearing, deals are starting to come together. I'm long-term very, very positive and very long on New York. If I had the, the, the personal liquidity to go buy a number of apartments, I would do it right now. You know, um, yeah, I know, I know you want that penthouse over at 56 Park Place and that, that's your goal, <laughs> I know. I know you don't have that liquidity. I'm sure you can afford something else, but, but you know. I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think if I had to pick, let's see, if I had to pick one, if liquidity was as thing, if I had to pick one building, um, I gotta tell you, I was recently at 70 Vestry. Oh yeah, Tom Brady's old, well actually no longer Tom Brady, but yes, that's, that's the- It's Lewis Hamilton, I think was there, but it, um, that, that's a pretty special building. I've always been, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. And then, um, not there, I know 56 Leonard would be pretty cool. That would be cool. It's just, it, it's just so, you know, now I think I'd be terrified of one of the Jenga you know, uh, yes, cantilever part of the building. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I'm long-term very bullish. Yeah, so we know your, your top two buildings, top two <laughs> buildings uh, is the uh, 56 Leonard and 70 Vestry. Okay. <laughs> so let's switch. We're running out of time here. So I'm going to pivot a little bit and ask you a couple more questions that are, uh, work related. You worked with Refkin for many years as the, uh, basically the, the first, the appointee. What are two, three things that you learn working under him? Whether it's about him or about running the company? Yeah, so um, I've learned, I learned a lot. I think I learned more working close to Robert than any other experience I've had sure, in, yeah. in, in my life. Yeah. So let's see, let's, let's come up with three things because there's a lot, but I think number one, he has such an incredible obsession around agents and agents as the customer of the brokerage. Now, I think of agents as more like, we think of them more like partners, but if you break it down, right, think about it this way, your customers who pays you, right? Agents pay the brokerage. Yep. So our job is to obsess about that customer. The end client, the buyer, the seller, the renter is the customer of the agent. Right? And so it was really fascinating to see someone obsess so much about that customer. People often talk about in business, like love your customers, hug your customers, obsess about them. I think it's mostly just taglines. People don't actually live it, right? Living it is literally getting into the most granular detail about their experience and caring so much that you'll do anything to solve it. And I think what one of the things he really taught me was you can't, can't do that halfway. You either know who your customer is, obsess about it, and make decisions based on what they want, and you really trust that or you don't. 
And I think every time we've made a decision with this company that's put agents first, it's been driven by what they want, their feedback and their guidance, we've been super successful. And so, you know, if I were to go work anywhere else, uh, at any other company, uh, you know, day one, the first thing I would just say is, okay, who is the customer? And I just want to figure out every single thing I can about them and do everything they want. Because if you do that, you'll be successful. That's number one. Number two, um, I think the, the value of hiring great people to work with you. Um, Robert has always been someone, I think, who recognized that one person can't do everything and that the success of the company is directly correlated to not just how many people you have, but the quality of the people. Sure. And it's not just people that are talented and smart. I and mean, that's, that's, that's table stakes. It's people you enjoy working with, people who give you energy, uh, people who care about the vision and the goals that you have and the kind of people that you're excited to go into the office and spend time with, right? So, you know, it's such a, such an important thing. I think in some we've been really lucky here that we just have such an amazing group of people. And then the third thing um, I would say is, I don't know how he has so much energy. He drinks a lot of coffee. I don't drink coffee, which I consider a, a pretty cool thing that I was able to keep up with him. Yes. But, you know, he, uh, I like, I need a lot of sleep. I think something people don't know about me because I stay up really late and people I think get emails from me and texts and I'm on the phone with are, you know, yeah, we're, 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 we're at the after parties together at the retreat till four in the morning. Right, we're at the after, we're always at the after parties together. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I, I need sleep. So if I'm up late, I, I like to sleep, you know, till eight 30, nine o'clock. Like I, I, I can't do things on my couple hours sleep. You know, I will have calls with Robert at the one o'clock in the morning. And then I'll like, you know, when you wake up for like 30 seconds at six 30 and just check your phone, go right back to bed. I check my phone. There's like three texts from me. Like, Wait, we were, we were barely awake a couple hours ago after a crazy day. And he's just back at it. So that, that energy and that work ethic is super inspiring. Yeah. Do you, do you think he still wakes up in the middle of the night and, and texts text people and goes back to I, sleep? Well, I think now with with three kids, yeah. uh, I think his sleep schedule is sort of aligned to them because the other day he told me he's getting up earlier, uh, which I guess is aligned to the fact that he has young kids who are going to school now. Yeah. Um, so that and then at that point, I said, so you're, that means you're going to bed earlier and you just yeah. right. Doesn't make any sense. Another pivot. Let's talk a little bit more about your your actual business itself and how you got here. You know, if you could give yourself advice to you in your early twenties, whether it's professional or personal. Actually, let's do both: personal advice and, and professional advice. What would it be? And, wow. Personal advice would be don't stress so much. Oh yeah, you stressed a lot when you were twenties, huh? Well, I rolled it. Yeah, we, yeah, I think we do for different reasons. I was so stressed because I brought it on myself. I, it was totally self-managed. But I, I was so fixated on this concept of finding something that I love doing. I had all this energy and I wanted to work as hard as I could. I wanted to be successful and I wanted to you know, have something I was proud of and I could look at it. You know, and I think when you press and you try to find something, you know, it's, it makes it very difficult. It's probably no different than finding someone you want to be in a relationship with, right? When, you, when, when you're like, I don't want to be single. I want to be with someone. You know, they always say like, if you press and you really try and like, you're going to drive yourself crazy or maybe you go into a relationship that actually isn't right. But, you know, it's really hard to get comfortable with this idea that like sometimes things just naturally fall into place if you, 
you know, do the right thing and put yourself in the right positions. And if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, take a deep breath. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Just, it just keep doing the right thing. Be true to who you are, work hard and try to put yourself in the best positions and things will work out. So that's on the personal side. Um, On the professional side, I, I think one of the, one of the things that was really interesting that I learned at, at Compass was how important it is to, you, you need to be able to speak the financial language of your business. Yep. And I remember when I was um, in college, my stepdad who worked in financial services, you know, was saying, you know, didn't put any pressure on me, but was like, you know, if you, you should really explore an internship at an investment bank, you can learn so much. And I, like, my mind was not even there. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's boring. That's what you do. You know, I wanted to be in the music business. Right? Oh yeah. Classy. <laughs> yeah. And I think like the skill set that you learn from really understanding like the financial language of a company and how companies operate in that way is so valuable. And I had to learn it manually myself. I took classes on it, uh, like post-college, right? I took courses on it. I spent so much time with our finance team early on trying to understand the business of, of how things work. You know, when people were talking about things like net income and gross margin and EBITDA, like these were concepts I, you know, didn't really get. Right. Now, this is literally the language I speak in. Um, and I recognize, oh my goodness, there's so many shortcuts to the answers you're trying to find if you can have that conversation. Yeah. And so I, if I were to go back in time, I would have become far more literate in that financial language earlier. Financial literacy is king. That's for sure. Yeah. Actually, you, you should preach that to all of our brokers here too, because some of the brokers need that. Uh, well, you know, look, it's, it's easy to say that, but, you know, I, I can only imagine what it's like when all of a sudden one day, you know, someone hands you a check. For seventy five hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars, like you know, I can sit back and say, "Oh, put it in the bank, be smart," but it's very tempting. <laughs> oh yeah, it does to keep it all for yourself too. Until the IRS. Oh yeah, forget taxes. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh, but yeah, just put the seventy five in the bank. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no. Of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. Final questions. We're running, running at a time. We raised over a billion dollars, right? What? We're doing fine financially. Compass publicly has said that we're doing fine liquidity-wise, financially speaking. You know, there's COVID is not going to really affect us as far as our operations are concerned, even in a down market. That said, if we're doing that well, why IPO? Why why do we need to raise more money? Yeah, so as you said, we're very fortunate that we're in a strong capital position. And that's something that, honestly, I think through COVID, we have been incredibly lucky that the company has actually performed incredibly well. You know, we had record revenue months for the business over the summer. Right. Right? And if you would have asked me that in March, would I have said that? I would not have said that <laughs> what was going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, we are very fortunate that we're in an incredibly strong capital position. We don't need to go public, right. um, but it's, it's, it's something that if we were to do it, I think it would provide some benefits to our agents and to their clients. So one is, you know, if you go public, it's basically raising more money. You're just doing it from a public market. Yeah, getting public money. But raising more capital means that there's even more that can be spent on trying to create value for agents and their clients. That means we as a company can build 
more technology and faster, you know, do more things like Compass Concierge, expand to more markets that could drive referrals and brand exposure. You know, all those, the, making those investments, I think will ultimately benefit our agents and their clients. And so, you know, the more capital you have at your disposal, the faster you can go and the deeper you can go. And, and also in a business like ours, it's always important to have a strong balance sheet because as we just saw COVID, like you don't know what's going to happen with the, with the real estate market and the global you know, macroeconomic environment. So you always want to be in a position where you can sleep well at night. And, and one thing I've always sort of thought is very sound of Robert and, and Kristen and our, our leaders is they've always made sure the company was always in a strong financial position. Mm. Uh, I think second, the benefit is from the branding standpoint. You know, public companies are, their brands are seen there. There's a lot of popularity that comes to the, that, that you know, comes out of going public. Yes, um, you know, you're listed on an exchange. Like these are things that make the brand of the company more recognizable to the end consumer. And I, I, I think that's a, that's a good thing. But, that, but, you know, on the contrary, I mean, you know, we do have our competitors are already public, right? You got Berkshire Hathaway, you have, um, you know, Corcoran's parent company is also public. Element and parents' company is also public. I mean, don't, don't, do you think that really makes a difference? Well, I think here's, here's the difference, right? So Douglas Elliman is not, the name Douglas Elliman is nowhere in their public company filings. It's the vector group, group, right? Realogy, which is the public company for you know, energy, which is Corcoran Coal Banker. Yeah, so like there's, they don't benefit from that brand connectivity. Um, Berkshire Hathaway does certainly. Um, so we wouldn't have that challenge. But secondly, if we were to go public, there'd be a lot of positive, exciting news and press around it. And that exposure that would happen because in today's world, when companies like ours, you know, go public, there's a lot of interest and attention that gets placed on them. So I think it would ultimately be a good thing. And I think for clients and, uh, for those who might not have heard of the company to know your company is public you know, it's sort of a badge of honor in a, in a, in a way and, and sort of indicates that there's some stability and permanence and, and strength there that we know we have, but maybe some, in the, you know, in the world don't. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Do, do you have a, a, a preferable uh, ticker mark if you were able to choose? <laughs> uh, that's actually a good, a good question. Maybe comp, because See, also so thinking about it in our business, comps, right? Like it could be kind of cool. <laughs> I'm pretty sure comp is probably taken. It's like short for computer. Yeah, probably comp is probably taken. I actually also, you know what the ultimate would be is if you could do comp and you could do the compass dash and the O. Oh know, yeah. The, the needle. That'd be the yeah, that, that would be good. All right. Well, listen, that, that's all, for, that's all the time that we got. So I want to uh, thank you for your time and uh, coming on here. And uh, we'll obviously, you know, keep on trucking through. I miss the people in our office, but you know, this is New York City. We're resilient people, so we're going to continue to fight on the fight and uh, keep trucking towards uh, 2021. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Todd. All right, Rory. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks. All for right, talk to you soon. Time.